Good afternoon. We're here with Daniel Boney at the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra. It's just a few days leading up to Anzac Day 2018 and at the Tent Embassy there's a large contingent of people who've been coming from all over Australia, Aboriginal activists and Aboriginal people and some cockatoos, which I think you can hear, have been coming from all over Australia to get ready for the Anzac Day March. The Aboriginal activists will be forming their own contingent and they will be marching to mark the commemoration of the frontier wars that have been since the beginning of the invasion of this country. Welcome, Daniel. And would you like to introduce yourself to the audience briefly, Daniel? Hello there. Yeah, my name is Daniel Bunny. I'm uh, originally from the northern New England area, uh, northern New South Wales, a uh, little place called Astrid in Rome. Um, which is uh, around the Nagarabu, Kwambu, Anawan, Bigambu, Gamaway nations. They're sort of right on the border. Um, as Sister was saying, we're about there talking about the frontier wars leading up to, uh, to Anzac Bay. It's, uh, frontier wars is just to be uh, all about uh, our healing to start off with, if we're going to heal uh, our nation. But to um, start off with, yeah, you have to correct all those falsehoods that uh, have been done by those uh, invaders. So, uh, yes, thanks very much. Thank you, Daniel. So, Daniel, you come from the Inverell area of New England, part of New South Wales in Australia. Could you um, tell us what is significant about the Inverell area with regard to the frontier wars in this country? Um, in the Inverell area, there's uh, one of the most infamous massacres uh, recorded. Uh, it was a place called the Mayo Creek area, around uh, the Bingra, Warialda um, area of uh, uh, the Liverpool Plains. Uh, at the time, there was a lot of the Kwayambal people used to work for them, and I am one of the descendants of those people. Um, I originally come from a little place called Ashford, which is between uh, the Queensland border and uh, Inverell. My mum and dad in the country and the land uh, it covers most of the New England area, which is from Urala, Walka, right through to the Queensland border up to um, just before Warwick. Uh, in those areas there's the nations of the Yanawan, uh, Nagarabal, Kwayambal, Bigambal, and um, we were on the edge of, of the Gomorrah Nation. And uh, with the, the massacre, it's a, a very big thing to all of those people and uh, the nations that I've just mentioned. And they are, um, with, the, uh, with the massacre, uh, back in the early 2000s, I think there was uh, one of the young girls that was massacred, her body was taken to, to England and um, one of the reasons why I'm pretty upset with it is because my auntie was one of the ones who went and reclaimed the body, uh, the bones, and uh, put them back into where they have the uh, memorial every year now at uh, my old creek. But so there, that's why I, uh, I have a bit of a, a, a beef with it because it affected a lot of my family. Thank you, Daniel. 
Could you give us some of your own oral history regarding the Mile Creek Massacre? Yeah, on the, um, on the Mile Creek Massacre, there was, uh, there was one of the first recordings of a, uh, of a white man or men being charged with, uh, uh, with the murder of, uh, of Aboriginal people. I think there were six of them that were charged at the time. But um, yeah, on that subject, uh, the, uh, the Mile Creek Massacre, it was, um, that's what the, the, my friend, his name's Chris Tomlins, he's got the thing going called the, uh, called the Frontier Wars. And uh, with that, they have to go back to first contact. And uh, before the Myrtle Creek massacres, there was many and many of, uh, massacres from first contact, from uh, recognising Bar uh, Botany Bay right along the east coast to up to where we are talking about now in the New England area. So, uh, yeah, there was many, and uh, and a lot of them are recorded, but with the Myo Creek Massacre, it was one of the first ones that was, uh, it was, I think, the first one that was uh, where a white man, white men have been charged with the murders of Aboriginal people. And uh, they were they were currently, at the, they were hung over it, as, a, uh, as of what they did to the Aboriginal people. But with our oral history that goes back to uh, where they were, uh, the white men, whatever they were working for at the time, I think his name was uh, Henry Dengar. He used to have a Dengar station around the area and um, about eight to 10 of the men, maybe more, were out working on some, doing some fencing. And uh, there was a rumor going around at the time that there was uh, some of the cattle had been stolen or been rustled and, uh, of course, blamed the black man straight away. So uh, from there, there was a, a few other men in the local area that got together. But uh, those men were, uh, were actually came up from from the Sydney area after being second-generation uh, landowners around that part. And they came up through that area. And I think the, one of the... The uh, landowners, his name was Henry Danger, but there was a bloke named William Hobbs who had who ran one of the properties. That's where the massacre apparently occurred. Yeah, within our stories, they told of where they they took the women and children and uh, took them to a, uh, a site where they uh, killed most of them off. I think there was one or two that got away, and one of those young children, uh, boys that got away was... Uh, one of the descendants of my family. So, uh, yes, I've got a bit of feeling and heart to that one. Apparently there was only one or two boys that was uh, left from the massacre, and um, one of those young men ended up with the name of being John Munro, I think. And after that, kind of the, the Munros and the, from around the, the Tamworth area. I think young Lyle Munro and old Lyle Munro uh, their descendants were part of that Kuyamble tribe that uh, used to work for them. Our mob were the farmhands and domestics. Uh, that's how a lot of their lands got cleared. And, and uh, yeah, but uh, with one of those two young boys that escaped, left many of big descendants in the, uh, the Gumroy Nation and the Kuyamble and the Garibu area of northern New South Wales. So, Daniel... Do you recall when you first learned of the Mile Creek Massacre as a as a young person? 
it was just one of those things that were told, you know, when we were younger. There was no specific time or anything about it, but one of the first times I can remember sort of talking about it was uh, probably when I was in my late 20s, mid, uh, early 30s. There was a friend of mine I went to school with. He, uh, his family was uh, one of the people that used to live around that area at the time, and they had uh, had some handwritten yeah, paperwork of what used to happen in those days. And uh, I have seen some of the paperwork. I know that, but uh, it was uh, sort of one of the first times I really got into talking about it. But uh, I remember the story most of all my life, actually. Um, that's very interesting, what you've just said, Daniel, about that handwritten record of Mile Creek Massacre and other massacres, because that's one of the effects of the Mile Creek Massacre in that it appeared to, to cause like a ripple effect where from there on in whites stopped anyone from talking about the atrocities that they were committing. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that book, Daniel? It was just one of the, one of the blokes that I went to school with. It was one of them that was the handwritten book. And then there was, there was other uh, other paperwork on it. And I think me and you have been looking at that book. Yeah, well, uh, there was this book that um, it called Blood on the Wattle. Um, me and you were talking about it before. I think there's uh, uh, some reference to it in there about what happened with the convicts after they uh, they did these atrocities. And that's a good read if anybody hasn't read it yet. But, yeah, there's... a. Uh, uh, and most of it all is uh, more in the same uh, zinc um, from the oral story to the written story. There's not much that hasn't changed, but it's only I can only take it so far. But then after that, that's when all the uh, uh, a lot of the people did start not writing down things what happened. That's right, brother. Um, Blood on the Wattle by Bruce Elder is an um, constantly updated tale of the horrors that have occurred since um, 1788 and it's an excellent reference for anyone who wants to get some sense of um, why the frontier wars have to continue, why the protests have to continue. What would you say about that, Daniel? Yeah, well, that was, uh, I was talking to my mate, I mentioned his name there earlier on, his name's Chris Tomlins. He's got uh, that campaign going on about the frontier wars. The Frontier Wars is, uh, well, if you're going to heal anything, you have to go back to the start. And uh, that's where we have to deal with to start off with to get to these issues that are going on today. And it has a lot to do with the stolen land, stolen children, stolen lot. That's right, Daniel. It's been a very long, long, hard story, hasn't it? We'd like to thank you so much, Daniel, for giving us your time over the last few days um, and sharing things with us and um, welcoming us uh, to sit with you. We really appreciate it and we feel like it's a privilege to have met you. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to everybody out there to say see you later? Um, thank you for your time. Um, yeah, but uh, there's a lot of those things that uh, with the massacres uh, going right up to now, even with our... Uh, coal seam gas, a lot of issues that are going on in uh, in our countries, but the only way we'll solve that is if we go back to the beginning and uh, realise that there have been atrocities made, and uh, those who would like to help would, uh, well, that's what the name is of the game is people power. So power to the people and uh, yalu.
Thank you, Daniel. Yalu. That means see you again. You are listening to Subject ACT on 2XX 98.3 FM People Powered Radio. You have just heard an interview with Daniel Boney from the Aboriginal Tent Embassy about the Frontier Wars and the Mile Creek Massacre. Here is a song that Daniel has requested. It's called People, My People by Chris Phillips. I hope you enjoy it. You are listening to Subject ACT on 2XX 98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. Tonight, on the eve of Anzac Day, we are focusing on the Frontier Wars and in particular the events surrounding the Mile Creek Massacre of Aboriginal people in 1838 in New South Wales, Australia. During the interview, Daniel referred to the text The Blood on the Wattle by Bruce Elder. I will now read some of the account of the massacre as well as some of the final court proceedings. The men were strangers. It was obvious from the swords, pistols and muskets that they carried and from the terror of the Quiambo that the posse were bent on revenge and murder. As he talked to Kilmeister, John Russell, the leader of the posse, unhitched a long tether rope and began to untie it. With the Quiambo huddling behind him, Anderson, who worked as a hut keeper on the Mile Creek run, asked Russell what he was planning. Russell indicated that he was going to tie all of the Aboriginal people up and take them away. We're just going to take them over the back of the range to frighten them, he said ambiguously. Russell and Lamb, another member of the posse, then pushed their way past Anderson, who was trying to protect the Aboriginal people huddling behind him, and they went into the hut. The Quiamble, anticipating their fate, began weeping and wailing and crying. Ned Foley stood in the hut doorway. His gun was drawn. He was another member of the posse. He was determined that no one should escape. Anderson felt the overwhelming frustration of helplessness. The plaintive voices in the hut were calling out for his help, but what could he do against ten armed men? The voices inside the hut also called to their so-called friend, Kilmeister, to save them, but Kilmeister stood by indifferent to the fate of the people who only the previous night he had sung and danced with. From this point here, it is said that around 30 Aboriginal men, women and children were led off into the night, taken to a nearby stockyard and executed with swords and pistols. The court records that it was almost impossible to correctly identify individual victims due to the horrific way in which this mass murder was carried out, as well as the subsequent attempt to hide the evidence. Now I will read a section of the court proceedings and here is where there is a twist in the tale. So, eventually, after a long investigation, the men were tried at the Supreme Court in Sydney on the 15th of November 1838, almost six months after the original event. The central charge was for the murder of Daddy. Daddy was one of the largest men in the group. Evidence of the massacre and the guilt of the men seemed so overwhelming that the Chief Justice, in summing up the case against the men, told the jury, It is clear that the most grievous offence has been committed, that the lives of nearly 30 of our fellow creatures have been sacrificed, and in order to fulfil my duty, I must tell you that the life of a black is as precious and valuable in the eye of the law as that of the highest noble in the land. The jury listened, but the weight of public opinion overwhelmed the Chief Justice's logic. It took them only 15 minutes to consider that all of the 11 men 
were not guilty. The court is recorded to have burst into loud applause at this verdict. It appears that frontier law had overwhelmed British justice. This was just like the Wild West. The jury had implicitly endorsed the indiscriminate killing of the Aboriginal people. However, here is the twist in the tale. To the amazement of everyone in the court, it was announced that the 11 men would be held in custody and retried using the same evidence, which is something that had never happened before. The public was outraged. At that time, racism was at an all-time high. The governor himself, Governor Gibbs, was reviled. The newspapers called for the release of the prisoners. Eventually, on the 27th of November, a second trial was held. However, this time, only seven of the men, Kilmeister, the stockman, Russell, the leader of the posse, Foley, Oates, Johnston, who was actually an African from the UK, Parry and Hawkins, were charged with murder. The jury returned a verdict of guilty on the first five counts of the murder of a child unknown. There were some child remains found at the site after the evidence had been attempted to be hidden. And so, on the 7th of December, Governor Gibbs, after lengthy consultations, agreed with the verdict and sentenced the men to death. They were to hang. However, before their execution, the men decided to confess to their crime. They claimed the defence of their actions, a pitiful plea on their part, was that because killing Aboriginal people was a common frontier sport, they claimed they did not realise that it was illegal. They claimed they certainly did not realise that it carried the death penalty. Most of the men involved in the posse were men who had probably been brutalised from a very young age and they were all mostly convicts. They were perhaps victims of their society too, a society which suffered what can only be called ethical schizophrenia. The men were hanged on the 18th of December. However, the repercussions of their executions reverberated up and down the frontier for the next 50 years at least. Mile Creek may have been British justice vindicated, but it was also a warning to all squatters and frontiersmen. The government apparently hoped that the lesson was don't kill Aboriginal people. However, the message received on the frontier was translated as this. If you kill Aboriginal people, don't under any circumstances let the authorities know. So the end result of the trial and the executions of these men was that nearly all further massacres in New South Wales went unrecorded. Although, as Daniel said, there is now more evidence surfacing in oral history and some handwritten work. One of the Sydney newspapers decided to print a what they found to be a an amusing conversation between someone who comes from the city and someone who comes from the bush. Have they hanged the men? asked the countryman. Yes, replied the city citizen. Oh, it's a damn shame, went on the countryman. However, we have a safer technique in our part of the country. Oh, indeed, said the city citizen curiously. What is that? Oh, replied the countryman with sly enthusiasm. We poison them and have done so to a good many already. Serves them right too. And thus the history of thousands of Aboriginal people was determined in part as a result of the Mile Creek Massacre. A new unwritten law emerged on the frontier of death by stealth. You have been listening to Subject ACT on 2XX 98.3 FM People Powered Radio.